Book 16. Father and Son As dawn came into the lodge, the king and loyal swineherd set out breakfast, once they had raked the fire up and got the herdsmen off with droves of pigs. And now, Telemachus. The howling dogs went nuzzling up around him, not a growl as he approached. From inside, Odysseus noticed the pack's quiet welcome, noticed the light tread of footsteps too, and turned to Eumaeus quickly, winged a word. Eumaeus, here comes a friend of yours, I'd say. Someone you know, at least. The pack's not barking, must be fawning around him. I can hear his footfall. The words were still on his lips when his own son stood in the doorway there. The swineherd started up, amazed. He dropped the bowls with a clatter. He'd been busy mixing ruddy wine. Straight to the prince he rushed, and kissed his face, and kissed his shining eyes, both hands, as the tears rolled down his cheeks. As a father, brimming with love, welcomes home his darling only son in a warm embrace, what pain he's borne for him, and him alone. Home now, in the tenth year from far abroad, so the loyal swineherd hugged the beaming prince. He clung for dear life, covering him with kisses, yes, like one escaped from death. Eumaeus wept and sobbed. His words flew from the heart. You're home, Telemachus, sweet light of my eyes. I never thought I'd see you again once you'd shipped to Pylos. Quick, dear boy, come in. Let me look at you, look to my heart's content. Under my own roof, the rover, home at last. You rarely visit the farm and men these days, always keeping to town, as if it cheered you to see them there, that infernal crowd of suitors. Have it your way, thoughtful Telemachus replied. Dear old man, it's all for you that I've come to see you for myself and learn the news. Whether mother still holds out in the halls, or some other man has married her at last, and Odysseus's bed, I suppose, is lying empty, blanketed now with filthy cobwebs. Surely, the foreman of men responded, she's still waiting there in your halls, poor woman, suffering so, her life an endless hardship, wasting away the nights, weeping away the days. With that, he took the bronze spear from the boy, and Telemachus, crossing the stone door sill, went inside the lodge. As he approached, his father Odysseus rose to yield his seat, but the son on his part waved him back. Stay where you are, stranger. I know we can find another seat somewhere here on our farm, and here's the man to fetch it. So Odysseus, moving back, sat down once more. And now for the prince the swineherd strewed a bundle of fresh green brushwood, topped it off with sheepskin, and there the true son of Odysseus took his place. Eumaeus set before them platters of roast meat, left from the meal he'd had the day before. He promptly served them bread, heaped in baskets, mixed their hearty wine in a wooden bowl, and then sat down himself to face the king. They reached for the good things that lay at hand, and when they'd put aside desire for food and drink, Telemachus asked his loyal servingman at last, Oh, friend, where does this stranger come from? Why did the sailors land him here in Ithaca? Who did they say they are? I hardly think he came this way on foot. You answered him, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. Here, my boy, I'll tell you the whole true story. He hails from Crete's broad land, he's proud to say, but he claims he's drifted round through countless towns of men roaming the earth, so a god spun out his fate. He just now broke away from some Thesprotian ship and came to my farm. I put him in your hands. You tend to him as you like. 
He counts on you, he says, for care and shelter. Shelter, oh, Eumaeus, Telemachus replied. That word of yours, it cuts me to the quick. How can I lend the stranger refuge in my house? I'm young myself. I can hardly trust my hands to fight off any man who rises up against me. Then my mother's wavering, always torn two ways, whether to stay with me and care for the household, true to her husband's bed, the people's voice as well, or leave at long last with the best man in Achaea who courts her in the halls, who offers her the most. But our new guest, since he's arrived at your house, I'll give him a shirt and cloak to wear, good clothing, give him a two-edged sword and sandals for his feet and send him off, wherever his heart desires. Or if you'd rather, keep him here at the farmstead, tend to him here, and I'll send up the clothes and full rations to keep the man in food. He'll be no drain on you and all your men. But I can't let him go down and join the suitors. They're far too abusive, reckless, know no limits. They'll make a mockery of him. That would break my heart. It's hard for a man to win his way against a mob, even a man of iron. They are much too strong. Friend, the long-enduring Odysseus stepped in. Surely it's right for me to say a word at this point. My heart, by God, is torn to pieces hearing this, both of you telling how these reckless suitors there in your own house against your will plot your ruin, a fine young prince like you. Tell me, though, do you let yourself be so abused? Or do people round about, stirred up by the prompting of some god, despise you? Or are your brothers at fault? Brothers, a man can trust to fight beside him, true, no matter what deadly blood feud rages on. Would I were young as you to match my spirit now, or I were the son of great Odysseus, or the king himself, returning from all his roving? There's still room for hope. Then let some foreigner lop my head off if I fail to march right into Odysseus's royal halls and kill them all. And what if I went down, crushed by their numbers, I fighting alone, I'd rather die cut down in my own house than have to look on at their outrage day by day. Guests treated to blows, men dragging the serving women through the noble house, exploiting them all, no shame, and the gushing wine swilled, the food squandered, gorging for gorging's sake, and the courting game goes on, no end in sight. You're right, my friend, sober Telemachus agreed. Now let me tell you the whole story, first to last. It's not that all our people have turned against me, keen for a showdown. Nor have I any brothers at fault, brothers a man can trust to fight beside him true, no matter what deadly blood feud rages on. Zeus made our line a line of only sons. Arcesius had only one son, Laertes, and Laertes had only one son, Odysseus, and I'm Odysseus's only son. He fathered me, he left me behind at home, and from me he got no joy. So now our house is plagued by swarms of enemies, all the nobles who rule the islands round about, Dulichion and Sami, and wooded Zacynthus too, and all who lord it in rocky Ithaca as well, down to the last man, they court my mother, they lay waste my house, and mother, she neither rejects a marriage she despises, nor can she bear to bring the courting to an end, while they continue to bleed my household white. Soon, you wait, they'll grind me down as well but all lies in the lap of the great gods. Eumaeus, good old friend, go quickly to wise Penelope. Tell her I'm home from Pylos, safe and sound. I'll stay on right here, but you come back as soon as you've told the news, to her alone, no other Achaean must hear, 
all too many plots to take my life. I know, you assured your prince, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. I see your point. There's sense in this old head. One thing more, and make your orders clear. On the same trip do I go and give the news to King Laertes, too? For many years, poor man, heartsick for his son, he'd always keep an eye on the farm and take his meals with the hired hands whenever he felt the urge to. Now from the day you sailed away to Pylos, not a sip or a bite he's touched, they say, not as he did before, and his eyes are shut to all the farmyard labours, huddled over, groaning in grief and tears, he wastes away the man's all skin and bones. So much the worse, Telemachus answered firmly, Leave him alone, though it hurts us now, we must. If men could have all they want, free for the taking, I'd take first my father's journey home. So you go and give the message, then come back. No roaming over the fields to find Laertes. Tell my mother to send her housekeeper, fast as she can, in secret. She can give the poor old man the news. That roused Eumaeus. The swineherd grasped his sandals, strapped them onto his feet, and made for town. His exit did not escape Athena's notice. Approaching closer now, she appeared a woman, beautiful, tall and skilled at weaving lovely things. Just at the shelter's door she stopped, visible to Odysseus, but Telemachus could not see her, sense her there, the gods don't show themselves to every man alive. Odysseus saw her, so did the dogs. No barking now. They whimpered, cringing away in terror through the yard. She gave a sign with her brows. Odysseus caught it, out of the lodge he went, and passed the high stockade, and stood before the gods. Athena urged him on. Royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, old campaigner, now is the time. Now tell your son the truth. Hold nothing back, so the two of you can plot the suitor's doom, and then set out for town. I myself won't lag behind you long, I'm blazing for a battle. Athena stroked him with her golden wand. First she made the cloak and shirt on his body fresh and clean, then made him taller, supple, young. His ruddy tan came back, the cut of his jawline firmed, and the dark beard clustered black around his chin. Her work complete? She went her way once more, and Odysseus returned to the lodge. His own son gazed at him, wonderstruck, terrified too, turning his eyes away. Suddenly, this must be some god. And he let fly with a burst of exclamations. Friend, you're a new man. Not what I saw before. Your clothes, they've changed. Even your skin has changed. Surely you are some god who rules the vaulting skies. Oh, be kind, and we will give you offerings. Gifts of hammered gold to warm your heart. Spare us, please, I beg you. No, I am not a god, the long-enduring great Odysseus returned. Why confuse me with one who never dies? No, I am your father. The Odysseus you wept for all your days. You bore a world of pain, the cruel abuse of men. And with those words, Odysseus kissed his son and the tears streamed down his cheeks and wet the ground, though before he'd always reined his emotions back. But still not convinced that it was his father, Telemachus broke out, wild with disbelief. 
No, you're not Odysseus, not my father. Just some spirit spell binding me now to make me ache with sorrow all the more. Impossible for a mortal to work such marvels, not with his own devices. Not unless some god comes down in person eager to make that mortal young or old like that. Why, just now you were old and wrapped in rags, but now, look, you seem like a god who rules the skies up there. Telemachus, Odysseus, man of exploits, urged his son, it's wrong to marvel, carried away in wonder so at sight of your father here before your eyes. No other Odysseus will ever return to you. That man and I are one, the man you see. Here, after many hardships, endless wanderings, after twenty years, I have come home to native ground at last. My changing so. Athena's work, the fighter's queen. She has that power, she makes me look as she likes. Now like a beggar, the next moment a young man, decked out in handsome clothes about my body. It's light work for the gods who rule the skies to exalt a mortal man or bring him low. At that, Odysseus sat down again. Telemachus threw his arms around his great father, sobbing uncontrollably as the deep desire for tears welled up in both. They cried out shrilling cries, pulsing sharper than birds of prey, eagles, vultures with hooked claws, when farmers plunder their nest of young too young to fly. Both men so filled with compassion, eyes streaming tears, that now the sunlight would have set upon their cries. If Telemachus had not asked his father all at once, What sort of ship, dear father, brought you here? Ithaca, at last. Who did the sailors say they are? I hardly think you came back home on foot. So long an exile, great Odysseus replied, Surely, my son, I'll tell you the whole story now. The Asians brought me here, the famous sailors who ferry home all men who reach their shores. They sailed me across the sea in their swift ship. They set me down in Ithaca, sound asleep, and gave me glittering gifts, bronze and hordes of gold and robes. All lies stowed in a cave, thanks to the gods' help. And Athena's inspiration spurred me here, now, so we could plan the slaughter of our foes. Come, give me the full tally of these suitors. I must see their numbers, gauge their strength. Then I'll deploy this old tactician's wits. Decide if the two of us can take them on alone without allies, or we should hunt reserves to back us up. Father, clear-headed Telemachus countered quickly, all my life I've heard of your great fame. A brave man in war and a deep mind in counsel. But what you say dumbfounds me, staggers imagination. How on earth could two men fight so many and so strong? These suitors are not just ten or twenty, they're far more. You count them up for yourself now. Take a moment. From Dulichian, fifty-two of them, picked young men, six servants in their troop. From Sami, twenty-four. From Zakynthus, twenty Achaeans, nobles all, and the twelve best lords from Ithaca itself. Meet in the heralds with them, a gifted bard, and two henchmen skilled to carve their meat. If we pit ourselves against all these in the house, I fear the revenge you come back home to take will recoil on our heads, a bitter, deadly blow. Think, can you come up with a friend in arms, some man to fight beside us, some brave heart? 
Let me tell you, the old soldier said. Bear it in mind now. Listen to me closely. Think. Will Athena, flanked by Father Zeus, do for the two of us? Or shall I rack my brains for another champion? Telemachus answered shrewdly, full of poise. Two great champions, those you name, it's true. Off in the clouds they sit, and they lord it over gods and mortal men. Trust me, his seasoned father reassured him. They won't hold off long from the cries and clash of battle, not when we and the suitors put our fighting strength to proof in my own halls. But now, with daybreak, home you go and mix with that overbearing crowd. The swineherd will lead me into the city later, looking old and broken, a beggar once again. If they abuse me in the palace, steal yourself, no matter what outrage I must suffer, even if they drag me through our house by the heels and throw me out or pelt me with things they hurl, you just look on. Endure it. Prompt them to quit their wild, reckless ways, try to win them over with friendly words. Those men will never listen, now the day of doom is hovering at their heads. One more thing. Take it to heart, I urge you. When Athena, queen of tactics, tells me it is time, I'll give you a nod, and when you catch that signal, round up all the deadly weapons kept in the hall, stow them away upstairs, in a storeroom's deep recess, all the arms and armor, and when the suitors miss them and ask you questions, put them off with a winning story. I stowed them away, clear of the smoke. A far cry from the arms Odysseus left when he went to Troy, fire-damaged equipment black with reeking fumes, and a god reminded me of something darker too. When you're in your cups, a quarrel might break out. You'd wound each other, shame your feasting here, and cast a pall on your courting. Iron has powers to draw a man to ruin. Rising, all trooped down to the water's edge as the crew hauled the vessel up onto dry land and the hot-blooded hands bore off their gear. Then, in a pack, they went to the meeting grounds, suffering no one else, young or old, to sit among them. Eupythes' son Antinous rose and harangued them all. What a blow! See how the gods have saved this boy from bloody death! and our lookouts all day long, stationed atop the windy heights, kept watch, shift on shift, and once the sun went down, we'd never sleep the night ashore, never, always aboard our swift ship, cruising till dawn, patrolling to catch Telemachus, kill him on the spot, and all the while some spirit whisked him home. So here at home we'll plot his certain death. He must never slip through our hands again, that boy. While he still lives, I swear we'll never bring our venture off. That clever little schemer, he does have his skills, and the crowds no longer show us favour, not at all. So act. Before he can gather his people in assembly, he'll never give an inch, I know. He'll rise and rage away, shouting out to them all how we, we schemed his sudden death, but never caught him. Hearing of our foul play, they'll hardly sing our praises. Why, they might do us damage, run us off our lands, drive us abroad to hunt for strangers' shores. Strike first, I say, and kill him. Clear of town, in the fields or on the road. Then we'll seize his estates and worldly goods, carve them up between us, share and share alike. But as for his palace, let his mother keep it. She and the man she weds. There's my plan. If you find it offensive, if you want him living on in full command of his patrimony, gather here no more, then, living the life of kings, consuming all his wealth. 
Each from his own house must try to win her, showering her with gifts. Then she can marry the one who offers most, the man marked out by fate to be her husband. That brought them all to a hushed, stunned silence, till Amphinomus rose to have his say among them. The noted son of Nisus, King Aresius's grandson, the chief who led the suitors from Dulichian, land of grass and grains, and the man who pleased Penelope the most. Thanks to his timely words and good, clear sense. Concerned for their welfare now, he stood and argued, Friends, I've no desire to kill Telemachus, not I. It's a terrible thing to shed the blood of kings. Wait. Sound out the will of the gods, that first. If the decrees of mighty Zeus commend the work, I'll kill the prince myself and spare on all the rest. If the gods are against it, then I say, hold back. So Amphinomus urged and won them over. They rose at once, returned to Odysseus's palace, entered and took their seats on burnished chairs. But now an inspiration took the discreet Penelope to face her suitors, brutal, reckless men. The queen had heard it all, how they plotted inside the house to kill her son. The herald Medan told her he'd overheard their schemes, and so, flanked by her ladies, she descended to the hall. That luster of women, once she reached her suitors, drawing her glistening veil across her cheeks, paused now where a column propped the sturdy roof, and wheeling on Antinous, cried out against him, You, Antinous! Violent, vicious, scheming! You, they say, are the best man your age in Ithaca, best for eloquence, counsel, you're nothing of the sort! Madman, why do you weave destruction for Telemachus? Show no pity to those who need it, those over whom almighty Zeus stands guard! It's wrong! Unholy, yeah! weaving death for those who deserve your mercy. Don't you know how your father fled here once? A fugitive, terrified of the people, up in arms against him, because he'd joined some Taphian pirates, out to attack Threspotians, sworn allies of ours. The mobs were set to destroy him, rip his life out, devour his vast wealth to their heart's content, but Odysseus held them back. He kept their fury down. And this is the man whose house you waste, scot-free, whose wife you court, whose son you mean to kill. You make my life an agony. Stop, I tell you, stop all this, and make the rest stop too. But Polybus's son Eurymachus tried to calm her. Wise Penelope, daughter of Icarius, courage. Disabuse yourself of all these worries now. That man is not alive, he never will be, he never can be born, who will lift a hand against Telemachus, your son. Not while I walk the land, and I can see the light. I tell you this, so help me, it will all come true. In an instant that man's blood will spurt around my spear. My spear, since time and again Odysseus dandled me on his knees, the great raider of cities fed me roasted meat and held the red wine to my lips. So to me, your son is the dearest man alive, and I urge the boy to have no fear of death, not from the suitors at least. What comes from the gods 
there's no escaping that. Encouraging all the way, but all the while plotting the prince's murder in his mind. The queen, going up to her lofty, well-lit room, fell to weeping for Odysseus, her beloved husband, till watchful Athena sealed her eyes with welcome sleep. Returning just at dusk to Odysseus and his son, the loyal swineherd found they'd killed a yearling pig, and standing over it now were busy fixing supper. But Athena had approached Laertes' son Odysseus, tapped him with her wand, and made him old again. She dressed him in filthy rags, too, for fear Eumaeus, recognizing his master face to face, might hurry back to shrewd Penelope, blurting out the news, and never hide the secret in his heart. Telemachus was the first to greet the swineherd. Welcome home, my friend. What's the talk in town? Are the swaggering suitors back from ambush yet, or still waiting to catch me coming home? You answered the prince, Eumaeus, loyal swineherd. I had no time to go roaming all through town, digging round for that. My heart raced me on to get my message told and rush back here. But I met up with a fast runner there, sent by your crew, a herald, first to tell your mother all the news, and this I know I saw with my own eyes. I was just above the city, heading home, clambering over Hermes Ridge, when I caught sight of a trim ship pulling into the harbour, loaded down with a crowd aboard her, shields and two-edged spears. I think they're the men you're after. I'm not sure. At that the young prince Telemachus smiled, glancing toward his father, avoiding Eumaeus's eyes. And now, with the roasting done, the meal set out, they ate well, and no one's hunger lacked a proper share of supper. When they'd put aside desire for food and drink, they remembered bed and took the gift of sleep.